0: KYW original podcasts. It's just a good conversation with somebody that you didn't know you were interested in. I'm Matt Leon, and this is One on One.
1: They put all that hard work and energy in, and and basketball especially is such a long season. Every team goes in in the beginning of the year saying, we want to win a conference championship. We want to go to the NCAA tournament. So when you have teams that put in the the work and effort to get there and to see how excited they are for each other, that's the part as a coach that is, is really rewarding.
0: And our guest this week is Cabrini University women's basketball coach, Kate Pearson, spent more than a decade leading the Cavaliers, one of the top programs in the Division Three in the region. Coach, thanks so much for coming in.
1: Thank you so much, Matt, for having me. This is a, a great podcast, and I'm honored to
0: be a part of it. Thank you very much. This is, as we're talking here, it is mid-February, the grind. How are you feeling about things here?
1: Um, we're feeling pretty good. It's uh, exactly kind of what you said. We have an um, unlikely buy this coming weekend, and I think when you looked at the calendar early on, You know, we're not used to having to buy this late in the season off on a Saturday, but I think it's probably um, kind of a good thing for the girls to have a little bit of a break as we um, move into the last two games of regular season and hopefully make a playoff run.
0: So basketball has obviously been a big part of your life. What's your first basketball memory growing up?
1: Um, I think, you know, I as growing up, we were always around athletics. Um, my mom was uh, actually a soccer coach first while I was growing up, so my early memories with sports probably relate um, more around soccer, but I think it was around fourth grade where I got involved in what they had, Springfield AA, um, where everybody kind of come in and put you on different teams, like a rec league and um, I remember vividly walking into the gym that day um, and having the opportunity to kind of play in a game setting for the first time that way.
0: So what was that like, the first time you in a game setting?
1: Um, I think it was just, you know, it was fun. It was from the first time that I stepped on there, I had fun. I always enjoyed um, competing, uh, the thrill of athletics, and also just, you know, the endorphins you get from running around um, that way. So the first experience um, that I can remember is fun, and I think that's kind of what's kept me in it.
0: So soccer, basketball, you also lacrosse, Were any, uh, or was it just you went from one season to the next, whatever was, was happening? Yeah,
1: growing up, I think we played, uh, you know, anything and everything. So I played softball in the early um, years growing up, but then as I got older and got into um, high school, I really liked the pace of lacrosse a little bit better. But Um, You know, in the neighborhood growing up, we had um, street hockey um, out front with my brothers and kids. We had, like, home run derby. We had water polo that we played and made up in our own uh, down the street at one of the pools. So, um, you know, we just tried to kind of get involved in, in whatever sport possible.
0: When do you start realizing that you're a little more, you're a little better than a lot of the people you're playing with that maybe you're starting to get picked earlier for teams and getting a little more attention?
1: Um, I think I just uh, was always really competitive and wanted to be that kid, wanted to be the one that was a part of that. So um, nothing really strikes out as to this like defining moment. I actually think um, I might have been even like a little bit of like a, a late bloomer, and it was around high school where I kind of started to have more of that passion for, especially with basketball, um, and I think... That I, because I was playing multiple sports, that allowed um, kind of that boom to come a little bit later on.
0: What drew you to basketball? I mean, other than everybody's playing it and all, but obviously there was something that really kind of pulled you in about that Yeah,
1: it was, I think it was around the time that I was in eighth grade, I actually started coming down to um, Drexel University to the basketball camps, and it was when Coach Harrion was here. And um, he had a great program, and he ran a co-ed basketball camp. So I came down, you know, a kid from the suburbs coming down to to Philly and playing with Um, A lot of the Philly kids and the fact that it was only a handful of girls that were playing against um, a lot of boys. And I think that's where that was kind of in in the middle school years up through high school that I came down here. I think that's where my love started to go because we would come down and watch um, the Drexel. And that was when Malik Rose was here. And that was just a lot of fun. I think my passion for the game grew from that.
0: Now, you played at Springfield. Yes. And then you play University of Scranton. Mm Mm-hmm. What's the path from Springfield to Scranton, and were there any other possibilities that you look back you could have taken as far as a college goes?
1: Yeah, I was, um, you know, in in through the recruiting process, I was looking at all three levels. So I was, you know, looking at some smaller D1 schools. I was looking at Westchester in the area. Um, actually, Chris Day was my AU coach. He is uh, now an assistant coach at LaSalle. He's been at Penn. He's been at, um, you know, around. And he was the coach at Widener at the time. And uh, we joke that we still... Um, that he was a little upset with me when I did not choose to go to Widener and ended up at Scranton. So um, as I was going through, I was looking for programs that were um, strong programs competing nationally where I'd have an opportunity to play. And uh, a couple of times I went up to Scranton and just kind of fell in love with um, the school and the program that was there. So um, when it came down to it, it just felt like the right place to be.
0: Now, you were you also played lacrosse at college. Was the idea always... You were going to play two sports, or was it something that it just fit at Scranton?
1: Um, I, no, it was—I think as I was going through it, I actually— had um, some opportunities with lacrosse um, as well but I knew again when you go back to where my passion was my passion was basketball I knew I couldn't give up basketball to play lacrosse in college so um, lacrosse ended up just being a bonus and that's one of the things that division three other levels there are some athletes who do it but I think division three you know embraces it the best with allowing you to play more than one sport um, and when I got up there, actually, I actually think it was only year two of the program for the women's side um, for Scranton. So it was a fresh new program. So that was something, um, you know, you had this juxtaposed with uh, Scranton tradition basketball program. I had won a national championship and always a team that's up there. And then a new budding program
0: that, you know, was
1: kind of evolving that way. So to have both experiences was really cool.
0: Could you see, could you feel the different dynamics of an established power and – of program building from the ground up, even as a as a college kid? Did you feel a difference?
1: Um, I think, you know, when I look back now and I think about with basketball, it was like there was an expectation when we walked on the court that we were um, to win. And I think when you walked on the lacrosse field um, that there was a little bit more of I don't want to say happy to be here because they did want to, um, you know, grow and get better. But there was still that kind of building. There was definitely a little bit of a different feel. And I also think that allowed me to have some success with the lacrosse part of it because um, most of my focus was on basketball. And then lacrosse was just kind of a bonus. And I would roll into it a lot less pressure, just kind of go out and play. And uh, and that kind of gave me two different feelings and, and experiences.
0: How was the juggling act of, of two sports? Because I'm sure, I mean, it's not that long ago, but the intensity of a season maybe wasn't as much of 12 months like it is now. So what was the juggling act like?
1: Um, I think it really wasn't that hard. I think actually basketball is so heavy in the fall into the winter. And then when you get through, it is a long season. When you get to March, you know, I think I needed the lacrosse as that distraction because, um, you know, I didn't want the basketball season to end. So it was a good way to kind of roll into it. And I think as an athlete, the more I had, With academics um, and athletics to have to balance, the better I was at staying focused and staying steady with both.
0: So you ran the point
1: at Scranton? I did. I did.
0: Looking at their record book, your three-point attempts, assists, you're all all over the place. How would you describe your style as a basketball player?
1: Um, Well, I'm sure, too, even though I was a point guard and I have had some um, point guards that I've coached that I've kind of had to explain. I was a scoring point guard, so I did (laughs) look to shoot. Um, But, you know, I tried to, um, as a player, just see the court, know what um, you know, one of the things as a coach that we talk to our players about is trying to put your teammates in the best position possible. So play to their strengths. So, you know, you don't necessarily want to push the ball up the floor and throw it to, um, you know, a post player who's running the middle of the floor. We want to make sure we're kind of pushing it and getting them in the, in the right scenario. So, um, you know, I was looking to run our offense, know where to put people in the right spot, but I wasn't afraid to take the shot when it was there.
0: How was the transition to college? Was it at first a big... Whoa, this is a lot different or was it pretty much, okay, I'm I'm feeling pretty good.
1: Um you know what when I first got there, zero problems. Um I was excited to be um a little bit away from home. Um I was excited to get right into pickup and preseason and working out and doing all that stuff, but um, I think my preseason was so strong that then I hit a little bit of a bump once we got into the actual um, like practices, and uh, you know when I reflect back on our freshman year, it was a roller coaster. And uh, Coach Strong, who uh, is one of the best coaches, um, you know that I've ever had, and also that is well known across uh, women's basketball, he'll tell you that we had a little bit of a rough year freshman year. He had come off um, losing in the final four repeated years back-to-back, lost um, Kelly Halpin, who's from the area, who was a tremendous player. Um, So there was a lot of pressure on our freshman class to come in and kind of um, step right into those shoes. And as a freshman, that is hard sometimes to do it. And so, um, you know, I was in and out of the starting lineup and going back and forth. And uh, luckily at the end of the season, we kind of sat down, talked about things, and were able to um, kind of move forward and uh, create some more success after that.
0: And you had a lot of success. at you didn't just play both sports. You were high-level, you know, All-American, all-conference stuff. What are some of the memories when you look back at your entire athletic career at Scranton that that come flooding back when you think back to it?
1: Um, you know, I think it's the the daily, um, every day getting to practice, getting in, getting an opportunity to play, which is what we try to preach to our players now. Um, you know, the NCAA runs uh, for basketball are great. Um, we went to uh, the Elite Eight my senior year and were like, you know, shy of going to the Final Four. And then for the lacrosse side of it, we actually won the first ever, um, we won two conference championships of the first ever conference championship. And then uh, my senior year, we won the first um, NCAA tournament game for that. So being a part of the first for that side of it was a really cool
0: part. When does coaching start to creep in? Is that something that You always kind of figure whenever I'm done playing or are you done playing and you're like, what now? I need to stay close to the sport. Uh,
1: I think it was a little bit of both. So growing up and uh, especially, like I said, my mom was a coach, so on the sidelines a lot with that, seeing it Um, in the summers, I always worked camps as a counselor. So then I was around different coaches in this area doing that. Um, So I think I knew it was part of my path. But to be honest, when I graduated, I was uh, not ready to be done playing. So I was kind of back and forth about what I wanted to do and trying to decide if I wanted to try and pursue anything overseas or anything along those lines. And then I got a phone call from Bobby Morgan uh, that she was taking over at Cabrini, and um, I actually, my mom, when she told me Bobby called, I didn't believe her because Bobby was the Haverford High School coach who was our rival when I was at Springfield. So to me, Haverford High School was Bobby Morgan, like right. they were one and the same. Um, so when I, she was taken over at Cabrini and was looking for somebody kind of fresh out of college, played Division three that um, could help, you know, kind of navigate that part of it because that was new territory for her. Um, she gave me a call, and uh, so it kind of happened that way. It's kind of one of those things that life happens to you sometimes.
0: And you mentioned your mom coached soccer. She coached soccer at Cabrini. She
1: started it. She actually with uh, Zeke was the first uh, coach for the women's program there. So yeah, so Cabrini actually is in my blood because then if you even go back even more, uh, Mother Ursula, who was the founder of Cabrini, was actually the principal for my grandmother at Mother Cabrini High School in New York. Wow. And then comes down, my two uncles um, went there, played soccer. Then my mom plays there. So it was kind of one of those like mental to be,
0: <laughs> how much? Because how? Com- well, first of all, how comfortable are you coaching at first? Is it a difficult transition to go from playing to coaching right away?
1: Yeah, uh, I actually really struggled with it and actually my first year I didn't have to struggle with it too much because we were in a scenario we were picking people off of different teams to fill a roster so I got to practice almost every day because we needed bodies so um, the first year it was great because I kind of got to do a little bit of both Um, I think it was probably about year three we were going into um, playoffs and like I think that's when I was going to bed thinking more on like about what's going to happen tomorrow with the game looking at that way and that's when I felt like i Finally transitioned a little bit more into that coach mode, but those first couple of years are hard because you want to hold on to being able to play as
0: much as possible. So, mention your mom coached at Cabrini. How much did the familiarity with Cabrini help you when you get started coaching?
1: Um, I think it was really helpful because I think especially for um, Bobby at the time, she was looking for ways with um, you know. Navigating through the recruiting process part of it. Um, she knows the X and O's, you know, best than any I, anybody I know on the coaching side of it. So it was more on. The Division Three model, um, playing at that level, and then um, Cabrini. So the fact that I kind of grew up on that campus, and my mom and I have a great relationship, but when I was looking at schools, part of the reason I never really looked at Cabrini because I wanted a little bit of a separation that way. Um, but I knew uh, it was a great place for um, people to come have a great overall experience athletically and academically.
0: Division Three is a little different. How much did and does the fact that you went through Division Three as an athlete help you when you're coaching?
1: Um, I, it helps a lot because you know as you're going through, you're looking for um, players that have the same passion for um, the sport. You know, at Division One. A lot of times you'll find um, players who are passionate about it, but they're also very good at it. And then the incentive with, um, you know, scholarship and all the um, perks around it can keep them um, at a program. At Division Three, you know, you're trying to make sure that the players understand the balance of both. You want to find players that love the game enough, but then also know um, that as a coach, I'm going to give them opportunities to, you know, pursue other um opportunities including uh, we have a number of kids who come to Cabrini as dual sport athletes and that's also a credit to coaches like Jackie and Ken Prothrow um, whom women's lacrosse and men, uh, women's soccer are actually two their sports that we seem to share athletes a lot so um, our relationships there are important for it.
0: Time for a break on one-on-one we will have more with Cabrini women's basketball coach Kate Pearson right after this. It's the smart look at the issues catching fire in Philadelphia. Flashpoint.
1: What we have is a crisis.
0: This goes way beyond just the perpetrator. You
1: know how many times I had stopped people in front of my house from shooting up? It was a moment where black and brown people on the margins got to say, no, we've been hurting.
0: I think we forget that you came from somewhere else, too. Host Jerry Gregg walks you through the flames. On air Saturday evenings at 930 and Sunday mornings at 830. Or search the Flashpoint podcast on the Radio.com app. And we are back on one-on-one. Our guest this week, Cabrini University women's basketball coach, Kate Pearson. So you spend four years with Bobby. Yes. Bobby leaves, go to Haverford. Bernadette Lakaitis comes in. You stay on staff. What is it, what is it like, that transition, because the success level stays very high?
1: Yeah. So um, Bobby had done you know such a good job with the recruiting process that we had. Um, when Bernadette came in, we had, um, I think, three Eight seniors on the team that year so that were a part of that first recruiting class and a part of kind of the build up um, and then the the junior class was was really strong too so um, at the time I was teaching you know as a part time assistant, you have to fill your way so I was teaching at Saint. Catherine of Siena, which was right down the road from um, Cabrini, and I was finishing actually my master 's insert. Um, in education at Cabrini, so that was one of the reasons I decided to kind of stay on with Bernadette um, and go there. And, you know, it was a a great experience for me and um, to be able to work under, like I said, where Bobby is just, she's still one of my mentors and is so um, knowledgeable of the game. And then to see Bernadette come in, and she just brought such great energy and excitement to, um, that's her personality no matter what, but especially, um, I think, for a new job, she knew she had to come in and kind of... um, Sell the girls on that part of it, and they loved her, and so that was easy for them and for her to be able to kind of um, you know continue that success.
0: And you mentioned teaching. I think one of the things that people don't appreciate is that assistant coaches, especially at the Division three level, it's part time. There are some places it's the head coaches are part time. Division three, Division two. How was the juggling act of teaching, practice? Coaching, you mentioned going for certification. Do you look back on that now? and go, how did I do all that?
1: Um, yes and no, because then as the, you know, as the assistant coach, what's nice is, you know, you can help out in all the capacities that you can. And it's really more on like the time crunch of, all right, I got to get from school to practice to a game and on the road. And then, you know, more on the late night bus to turn around and be back in school at 7 a.m. or whatnot. Um, but at this level, you also have the luxury of kind of, all right, I'm going to come in, give my input, and then I'm going to leave and I might think about it, but you're not taking it home the same way um, as, as the head coach. So I think as the assistant coach, when you have those other things going on, it's actually a really nice outlet to just stay and be involved and give you something else to kind of put your energies at and give you an opportunity to kind of step away from your lesson plans or whatever else and shift gears for a couple hours to then go back to what you need to do to to execute your full-time job.
0: How much did teaching help prepare you for coaching and did it help you in ways that you didn't even realize it was going to help you?
1: Um, yeah, I think a lot with preparation. You know, as a teacher, you have to map out your lesson plans. You have to think about, you know, making sure you're laying your foundation on this to then build onto that. And all of that comes into um, the coaching mode. And so when I'm coaching, that's what, um, you know, you would see my practice plan is usually laid out kind of like a lesson plan. You know, we have our goals, our objectives, what we're looking for to do that day. And then it's broken down as to, um, you know, what we're doing first and how it's building onto that. So I think um, that mindset definitely has helped me um, in, in preparing as a coach.
0: And it was elementary school? I teaching? was uh, sixth grade, yep. Okay, so sixth yep. grade, older, older kids. Um, when do you start thinking, I might like to have my own program, regardless of whether Cabrini, but when do you start like, I like this, I'm good at it? I think I might be ready.
1: Um, I think it goes back again in, in the way that uh, the coaching has worked out for me. It, again, almost felt like it chose me. So um, when I stayed on with um, Bernadette as the assistant, part of it was, again, that I was, um, you know, finishing up my master's. And I actually at that time thought I wanted to go more of the high school route, like stay, in the, stay as the teacher and coach kind of on the side. So, um, you know, I was more— setting my path that way. I really enjoyed teaching. Um, I liked kind of using both sides of my brain that way. I was an English teacher there. And then um, the whole coaching change um, occurred again with, uh, you know, Mike getting the job at Penn and Byrne deciding to go. And so for that, I felt like this happened for a reason. There was a reason for me now. I wasn't ready to step into um, the head coaching job at the time when Bobby left. Um, So when it came that extra year, I felt like, Uh, almost obliged to to go for it in that way
0: do you feel comfortable right away and how difficult is it different dynamic as an assistant with players than it is with the head coach but you mentioned eight seniors that year Bernadette was there is it the perfect time to maybe switch because there's a lot of roster turnover
1: uh, it was, uh, the first year was tough. <laughs> so, um, you know, anytime you have a program that has their third coach in three years, no matter whether it's somebody that's familiar or not, um, the the players are going to feel that because the, every coach is going to try and have their own imprint on a program. And I think as an assistant, in my head, I was thinking, okay, well, I'm actually the best option for them because I'm the one that was already a part of this and now I'll just move over. Uh, but that old adage where, you know, six foot between the bench and uh, what do you have to make? Um, the first year was tough with that because we lost eight seniors and because of the timing of when um you know the coaching change happened, the recruiting stuff kind of at division three is very fluid, and there isn't you know um more and more nowadays there's a little bit more of early um people committing, but at that time, you know a lot of people were waiting until March in April. And that's around the time when the coaching changed. And I wasn't hired fully until July 1 was my first day. So we only had um, one player come in that year after losing eight players. And I think five or six of them were in that rotation. Um, so the first year was uh, definitely um, a part of kind of a rebuild into that mode. And it was a little tough to um, go from that success that I had as a player. And then as a coach in those last two years too. I think we were around like 15 and 10 my first year. Um, so it was definitely a learning experience um, and, and humbles you a little bit to know, okay, now I got to figure out how to be more of the head coach.
0: That being said, though, like 15 and 10, there are a lot of coaches that would strive to get to that level. Do you feel right away, I'm, I'm pretty good at this, even with the challenges with the roster and all, like this makes sense.
1: Um, I knew I wanted to get better at it. So I think when I look back at my first year, there were certain things that I'm like, okay, I know how to do X, Y, and Z. Um, But then, you know, as coaches, we're always looking for ways to get better. And so no, I definitely was not thinking, oh, I I got this. I think, uh, luckily, too, I had, um, you know, a great group of uh, coaches at Cabrini um, who have had a lot of success. So there's a lot of people that I'm walking into to doors, you got a minute, and trying to pick their brains on on the best ways. And, uh, you know, Bobby's still on my speed dial, so I know she got a number of phone calls uh, that year, as she still does.
0: One of the things that's amazing, and I've mentioned this before to other people, uh, the executive producer of the podcast, Tom Rickert, we got about 12 episodes in, and he goes, Why does everyone have a connection to Cabrini? And it's true. I mean, in all different sports, it is absolutely amazing how many people coached there, played there, were an assistant. The ties are incredible. Do you kind of feel that and realize that, that, that Cabrini has been like this touchstone for so many places. And why do you think that is?
1: Yeah, I mean, I like I said, I've, I've listened to these podcasts and I've noticed the same thing. And um, I think it just kind of goes back to, you know, John Zeke was such a, a great... Um, administrator and, and basketball coach there and I think like he's somebody I think of when I grow up when I was growing up and knowing around the, the lines and Cabrini just does a great job of pulling in people who care and I think you know we have a good balance of um, coaches who see it as kind of an opportunity to learn and, and as a stepping stone to grow and move on to other opportunities and then others um, who kind of we, we fall in love with what's there and it is really the people um, who make it such a great place to be. And, um, and you can see the success across the board. Anytime you feel like you're having success, you can look down the hallway. And, you know, right now, every time we walk in the office, we see the national championship from the men's lacrosse program. So you see that, and I think success drives success. So that pushes everybody else to want to do more, and that's where a lot of us kind of stay locked in.
0: How many years as head coach until you really start to feel like you're starting to run downhill, and you know what you want, you know the type of player you need, and it really starts to cook, in your opinion?
1: Um, I think year four was uh, like the first year we won the um, conference championship and went to the NCAA tournament. And I think it was around then that's where that was my first recruiting class were juniors. Um, and then you were absolutely looking and seeing how you're building on around then. So um, I think that was when I started to feel more comfortable with, okay, this is now my program that I'm putting, you know, kind of my handprint on. But um, you know, you never feel completely comfortable because as soon as you Get content. That's uh, what we talk to our athletes about all the time. That's when somebody else comes and creeps up. So we're constantly looking for um, ways to continue to get better and and treat each year as a new year.
0: What's it like to take a team to the NCAA tournament? You've done it multiple times. How obviously it's special, but what is the feeling? What is the biggest emotion you feel when you think about the idea of taking a team to the tournament?
1: I think it's just that sense of um, you know accomplishment that they put all that hard work and energy in and and basketball especially is such a long season. Um, So when you see a team that's able to, um, you know, put their own individual needs aside, um, in order to sacrifice for the best of the team and to get to that point that they're all striving for every team goes in in the beginning of the year saying we want to win a conference championship, we want to go to the NCAA tournament. Um, So when you have teams that you know, it really put in the, the work and effort to get there and to see how excited they are for each other. That's the part, um as a coach, that is is really rewarding.
0: How tough, when you went from playing to coaching, was the loss of control to deal with? As a player, you're out there, even if you make a mistake, ah, I'll get them next time. As a coach, you know, you're you can only go so far, and they have to execute what you want them to execute. How hard was that? to deal with that loss of control for a lack of a better term.
1: Yeah, it's still a daily challenge. Um, I think every game, you know, I look at and think about and we talk about it at timeouts and at huddles like, all right, these are things that we can help you with and these are things that we can't. Like we can't go out as coaches and make the layups and the free throws and those kind of things. So um, what we've really tried to do is put as much effort into game preparation going into the game so that they know, okay, this is our game plan for the game. And then if that game plan isn't working, then as coaches we have to take control on executing how to, what adjustments we have to make um, but other than that we kind of try to tell the team as best we can to go next play because basketball especially it's just you're going to make mistakes and it's more on it's not the mistake that's important it's how we react to the mistake and what um, you know that hustle play to get back um, if, you, if you miss a shot um, you know if you're diving on the floor you're doing the little things we try to really harp on that to, to put ourselves in the best position to win
0: five NCAA tournament appearances and in 2014 you win the first round game and it's the first time Cabrini's gotten out of the first round I think you beat Moravian what what's the joy like doing that and knowing that you've done that's gonna ever be a race that's gonna be the first time Cabrini's won an NCAA tournament game
1: Again, that um, those seniors, I think, were my first recruiting class. So that was special um, just because I think you have a certain bond as a head coach with that first class that, you know, those are the ones that you kind of establish those relationships with. So I was just ecstatic for them to have that, um, you know, kind of mark on history in, in the books. And really, I think for us, we were um, each year competing in there and we wanted to take that next step. And... um You know, I I don't really look at it as that's, you know, nobody can erase that part of it. It's more on the fact of, you know, just then the teams after that can build off that. And that's, um, you know, every alum, we talk to them about the importance of kind of setting the tone and then the current players are playing for the people before them and trying to build that family and that connection between the people of the 2014 team and now the people of the 2020 team.
0: What is the difference? You're one of the few people that has been to an NCAA tournament as a player and as a coach. How is the feeling of accomplishment different? Is it different?
1: Um, I think like you said, you know, as a player, you only get so many chances because, um, you know, your your playing time is done. So, you know, you kind of look around and you just try to embrace that feeling. And then as a coach, you know, you've been there as a player and now you want, your players to be able to kind of have that same experience so um, it's more like I said every year we try to talk about um, playing our our team our whole season is for the seniors because we know that's kind of their last run at it so we want to give them as many um, long-lasting experiences as possible so that's one of the reasons why I think that NCAA um, you know is a goal because you want to make sure that their season goes on as long as possible and that NCAA tournament is kind of that, that last run. So um, I think it's just special either way because it's another opportunity to play and
0: another opportunity to be together. Is one more satisfying than another?
1: Um, no, because it's kind of just, you know, I look at it as two different. I have my playing career and now I have my coaching career and I just kind of look at them as, um, you know, Equally exciting opportunities, and um, you know, you just have a different appreciation from um, the sidelines, though.
0: If you were recruiting my daughter, what would you tell me as a parent? How? What is your? How do you tell kids that kids and parents that Cabrini is where they should be?
1: Uh, Through the recruiting process, you know, we talk a lot about finding the best fit, the best overall fit. So um, as a Division III um, program, we, uh, you know, my first question is always about their academics and what they're looking to study and making sure that's something that um, Cabrini can offer them because post-college, you know, your degree is going to be more important than um, your playing career. Um, and then from there, we just talk about, you know, if you want to have an opportunity to come to a program um, that has had success, um, that values the balance of the academics, the athletics and the social, and that really cares about um, each other and the team. And, um, you know, we try to kind of build a family that way. And the family at stretches across the whole, I think, athletic department that way, too, and kind of um, going for each other. So um, being able to have kind of that small tight-knit community um gives a different different experience
0: how much i don't know better is the word i want to say but over the course of your career when it comes to recruiting just how much more of a better feel do you have for because i would figure by this point you know the type of kids you need to fill certain roles and you know kind of where to find them no
1: Yes and no. Recruiting, I say like every year seems to kind of differ um, just because, you know, you we try to kind of go to certain um, fits. So, you know, small Catholic college. So when you're looking at small Catholic schools, um, you know, St. Hubert's, we've had success with, with girls from that area. Um, but then we also sometimes want to go outside the area. Like I was a player who wanted to go a little bit away from home. So the Philly basketball area is such a good, um, there's so many good teams and players to pick from. So it's nice to have that in our backyard. Um, But I'll be honest that each year it kind of seems a little bit different um, recipe. And um, some of the best kids that I've had come through the program, I've maybe completely underestimated and they kind of like decided to come and we're like, okay, great. We'll see how they go. And then they are some of the best players that we've had. So um, you really don't know until they get to there. And that, again, goes back to making sure that they feel that Cabrini is the best fit, Because if they feel it's the best fit, then they're going to put their whole self into it.
0: How would Kate the player fare under Kate the coach?
1: (laughs) Um... think we'd be okay. I think uh, some of the stuff that um, hopefully my team doesn't listen to this because some of the stuff that we promote, um, I will be honest, I don't think I did. Like We have what we call a gold star chart, and a gold star is if you take a charge. I'm not sure that I took a charge during, uh, you know, maybe accidentally. Um, I would get on the floor for loose balls. That's another one that we value um, competitor-wise that way. Um, but I think... You know, I was a fierce competitor on the court. I didn't want to come off the court. Um, And so that's one of the things that we talked to our team about, though. When you do come off the court, you got to make sure you're slapping everybody's hands and um, pushing through that. So there's a lot of things that I think back on my experience as a player and think about was I the best teammate that I could be. Um, And in certain ways, I think it was. In certain ways, I think I needed improvement. So the areas especially where I needed improvement are the things that I harp on as a coach.
0: What's your favorite part of what you do?
1: I know most coaches say this, but it it definitely has to be the relationship piece just because, you know, when you think about – Um, the whole process and what we do and and the way that we're able to see um, players that we recruit as high school juniors, seniors, and come in and see their growth and development from the time that we meet them then to the time that they um, graduate from campus and then continue on into um, life afterwards. It is something that, you know, there's a lot of ups and downs in in basketball and there's a lot of days in coaching where, you know, you're pulling your hair out. Um, But it's that, That thank you email from an alum or from a current um, player that's asking you thank you for what you're doing um, and that relationship with with each one of them that you establish, that makes it all worth it.
0: Uh, On the other end, what's the biggest challenge of what you do?
1: Um, I think it's just kind of that balance. I think especially balancing the highs and the lows because, um, you know, it can go as easy this huge win team all together. The next day you can't buy a basket and, you know, you go down. And then um, balancing the the work-life balance part of it um, is important because during the season, you know, you're you're all in, you're watching film left and right, um, thinking about things and, you know, trying to make sure that I take the time to... To see my 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 kids, so coaches. as a lot of time. You hear them say, someone will say to me, "How are your kids?" And I'm like, "Which ones?" <laughs> you know, the the 18 that I'm coaching every single day, or the or the two that I'm raising at home. And uh, you know, I think try to give each of them as much attention as we can.
0: How far, in your opinion, has women's sports come as far as quality, coverage, and fan reaction?
1: Um, I think. You know, when I talk with some of the coaches who have come before me and have laid the groundwork, coaches like Jackie Neary and Bobby Morgan, they, their experience as players and even their early years of coaching are drastically different than what um, I had as a player and a coach. So I know that it has come leaps and bounds. Um, but I think as you know, female athletes, we're constantly still looking for ways for it to improve um, and ways for... Um, everybody to kind of embrace, um, you know, women um, and college athletics along that way because there there is a lot of a lot of talent there. Um, so I think you know, there's always
0: we're always going to look for more. Kate Pearson, thanks so much for coming in. Thank you. And that will do it for this week's episode. One on One is an original sports podcast from KYW News Radio. If you like the show and want to help us out, make sure you're subscribed so you don't miss an episode. You can help more people find out about the podcast by finding the show on Apple Podcasts and leaving a rating and a review. You can follow the show on Twitter, at one-on-one pod, and you can follow me on Twitter as well, at MattLeon1060. want to thank Kate Pearson, head women's basketball coach at Cabrini University, for stopping by this week. My name is Matt Leon. Come back next week for another good conversation with someone you should know more about.